0: What is up? Uh, back again. I've gotten lots of questions about books that I really like and books that I'd recommend to people if you know I was to give them recommendation. And instead of like going through and responding to everyone and giving you know these detailed lists of books, I decided I'd just do a video outlining my top ten favorite books as of 2020. These books are going to be restricted to theory and philosophy, so so nonfiction. Uh, don't don't. Get at me about theory fiction or any of that because i'm not i'm not going to enter that debate um, but before jumping into it if you want to support me you can do that via uh, patreon or paypal or non-monetarily by simply liking sharing subscribing telling your friends uh, i've heard i've i have a soothing voice i might be able to help your friends sleep at night if they want you know some boring white dude telling them about the mysteries of the universe if you're, li- I'm going to make this also available in podcast form. Uh, so for YouTube watchers, obviously, you're going to have a more full-fledged experience because you're going to have the visuals of the books. Uh, but, you know, I'll describe them in enough detail that you can actually get something out of this in podcast form where there won't be any ads. And hopefully, I'm going to keep it that way because ads are annoying. Um, and I have funny stories about people trying to advertise on my my podcast that I maybe one day I'll share, but I don't want to, yeah, don't want to get into that now. Uh, So yeah, without wasting any more time, let me get into the 10, my 10 favorite books as of now. Now they aren't in any order until the last two, and the last two are the most meaningful to me, or that had the most impact on me, so you know, stay tuned for those. But I want to start with one that I don't actually have on hand, at least I don't have a physical copy of, and that is Sarah Ahmed's The Cultural Politics of Emotion. And the reason I really like this book, and there's another one that I kind of align with it in that it does the same thing, is uh, Sinera Tobani's Exalted Subjects. And the reason I like both of these books, but I am giving Ahmed's book the uh, kind of real call out here, Uh, is that they discuss the ways that nations are formed and how certain people within nations develop a certain uh, right or level of exaltation uh, to be the rightful bearers of that nation and what that nation necessarily means, which um, is an interesting argument in its own right, but Ahmed is just has a particular talent of leaving no stone unturned and I just found myself whenever I was reading some argument she was developing you know I'd be start thinking about something and be like well what about this and lo and behold she'd almost always bring it up which I thought was obviously really (laughs) really good at least for me Uh, and I guess I should have prefaced all this by saying that this is of course just my opinion this is by no means exhaustive of like the greatest philosophical or theoretical text of all time, but. You know just putting it out there so that's number one the cultural politics of emotion number two i have judith butler's gender trouble which you know i for the most part we probably all know about this book is interesting for a number of reasons because it's not that well written and you know judith butler herself has come out and said that she doesn't really like the how she approached the the, the subject matter through her writing. It is infamously difficult to read at times, and she has these very long paragraphs essentially just comprised of questions, which I hate. But the arguments she levels in it blew my mind at the time when I, you know, first confronted with these ideas, obviously they changed my world. And for that, you know, I have to give her, you know, a shout out here because it's just uh, it's just awesome. And of course, many of her other books can could Be re- replaced here, you know, bodies that matter, not undoing gender. I don't, that one didn't stand out to me too much. Um, but yeah, so that's Butler, obviously a seminal figure in uh, in feminist studies, you know, and the, the bridging of feminism with more um, with the kind of established camp of post structuralism, which is obviously in my wheelhouse for anyone that's you know, watched my, my stuff here. Uh, it's definitely something I'm into. All right, next. Hannah Arendt's The Orange- Origins of Totalitarianism. Now, this um, book, I was kind of wrestling whether or not to include this one, um, because it's been a long time since I've read it. But at the time, it was, it, you know, blew my world apart with regards to uh, understanding the origins of fascism, specifically in um you know, Nazi Germany. But one of the things that really stood out to me is Ahren's kind of historical analysis, which is something that I certainly strive for uh, as an academic in that she's able to make sense of historical instances and facts that relate to an overall narrative without decontextualizing, uh, at least <laughs> to my best knowledge. And one of the things that she does really well in this book is, is tracing um, the the fermenting anti-Semitism that led up to Nazi Germany because I think that we're all too willing to say, wow those uh, anti-Semitic um, Germans when in fact all of these other countries around them all across the world anti-Semitism was entrenched within their very uh, kind of political and social ethos. She gives all of these kind of historical explanations as to how it could Arise! Finally, you know, in the conclusion, in the final paragraphs, paragraphs, in the final chapters, she really develops uh, her idea about loneliness being a precursor to totalitarianism, which I'm, you know, is obviously extremely relevant. Um, and you know, this is a for anyone out there wanting to write an essay, you know, what can be said about today's predicament? Does the internet foster uh, loneliness? or does it not, um, that might lead to fascism in this way? Has it contributed to the emerging, pretty well fascist regimes all across the world? I'm thinking that out there. I'm sure it's already been written, but I just don't know. All right, next. Um, and I was, I'll just say, Deleuze and Guattari's A Thousand Plateaus. Now, uh, obviously, <laughs> this, is a, this is a seminal uh, book, Um, one that really, I almost, I felt more compelled to put in than I necessarily wanted to because a lot of it I'm just kind of neutral about. It doesn't do much for me, but the chapters that deal with the earliest state formation, so those are the chapters on the war machine and, um, apparatus of capture, including you know, maybe one of the chapters dealing with the body without organs were, you know, just completely expanded my horizons, and so it's for that reason I couldn't couldn't ignore it. Um, and I would like to just say, additionally, I have an undying interest in archaeology and in um, kind of early anthropology dealing with the emergence of states, uh, and some of my own work might kind of intersects with that. Uh, and so i obviously am motivated by that but deleuze and guattari are really good at bringing out the wackiness of of human society that i think a lot of people try to shy away from or that they try to you know whitewash in favor of positivist um, historical developments that you know obviously just make clear sense deleuze and guattari are all over the place and that's one of the things i certainly like about them and that they're they're really playing out what they're describing this kind of deterritorialization you know developing these lines of flight these rhizomatic movements uh in that allow for a kind of newness or possibility now the next book is probably the most complicated one and one that whenever i return to i'm always like i got that totally wrong <laughs> the first time but that's uh homie baba's the location of culture um, if you've ever tried to read this book, you'd know exactly what I mean. It is so unbelievably complicated, um, belonging, you know, it belongs to the realm of kind of post-colonial studies, critical race theory, but it is just uh, most of the time beyond my comprehension. Um, I would also just like to say that Baba is not the most generous writer and that he, he doesn't make it as, quite as <laughs> accessible to his readers as I think he could have. But, you know, with that being said, the argument he levels are really um, interesting to me because they just totally reshaped the terrain of post-colonial studies that was, for a while, you know, looking at the work of Edward Said, really focused on a kind of top-down understanding of uh, colonial relations, which is obviously a big part of colonization. Um, but Baba's kind of turns it around and says, well, it's not as though identity is just formated on, is kind of bestowed upon colonized subjects by a colonizer. Like, that seems too reductive. Uh, In fact, there's a kind of, what he calls a kind of hybridity occurring. Now, he doesn't say that to try to um, diminish the effects of colonization. Absolutely not. Nor the power of colonizers upon colonized bodies. But he is saying it to at least nuance the discussion to give us a better understanding of the, the situation at hand and its you know three-dimensional characteristics. Three-dimensional character. And next should be no surprise to anyone that's listened to any of my stuff. Um, and I was really unsure which text of his to put. But I decided to go with Fatal Strategies by uh, Jean Baudillard, who is uh, someone whose work I've dealt with quite a bit, um, and you know I've covered pretty much every one of his books on this channel or this podcast. Um, but this text for me, it, it, I you know, it's really hard for me to choose which one because I had to narrow it down because he has like thirty-five or forty books, um, but. This text is the one in which I feel he just sprouts as a as a kind of quote unquote radical thinker, um, moving beyond the traditional camps of what I'll just call theory into a, a new kind of what would what he would call radical theory, and it's because of that. At least it's because of this book being that. Kind of first push in that direction that I, I really cling on to it and in this book you know he discusses a wide range of topics from uh, you know terrorism to chance which might, might seem strange to obviously you know simulation to the media to all these different topics and really gives in my mind one of the first real expositions into uh, power I know that's kind of a slippery term to use in, in when considering Baudrillard. When considering power in relation to mass media, in relation to terrorism, in relation to um, you know, si- simulated uh, communications and, and whatnot, that you know, still hasn't been fully unpacked. And this book has, is riddled with mysteries is by no means easy to to jump into and if you know you're looking for a book to start out with Baudrillard, it might not be the best place to start because I personally I still wrestle with some of the ideas but it's very rewarding if you can actually sit down and really grapple with the ideas that he develops now the probably my favorite writer uh well That's not true. But I can't give him, I can't not give him the amount of credit he deserves. But that's Michel Foucault and Madness and Civilization. So Madness and Civilization was, I guess, his first book, or I guess this was his dissertation. Um, And the thing about Foucault that I like that I find is forgotten or not really considered as much are the little... Insights that he sprinkles into his analysis when he's discussing the treatment of quote-unquote mad or uh, the mentally ill where he describes that they're treated like like subhuman animals or uh, he discusses them in terms of what he calls a kind of or well, this might be in relation to prisoners but in any case it, the same can be said he refers to them as being held in a kind of inverse exaltation so they are praised, exalted, but in a negative way, because of their relationship not to um, doing something good, not, not their having done something good, but they are exalted because of having done something bad, and therefore being closer to death, and therefore being closer to God. So they are the sign of God, God's existence, uh, their having done something wrong. So it was, it was prisoners. But it's those little moments that I find Foucault the most interesting, and they, they happen throughout. And I feel like a lot of the time those little nuances get lost in favor of, you know uh, discussions about like, you know power, uh, governmentality, these kind of big overarching ideas. Whereas for me, and madness and civilization really encapsulates that well, is his discussions of the minute instances in these regimes of power and how they play out and how they are kind of usurped from within in these little uh, moments of transgression. Next, this is number eight to keep you on track. And this one is a little bit, um, might seem like it doesn't really belong because it's not really a, um, a kind of single authored book per se. I guess neither is A Thousand Plateaus, but anyways, this is more of a overview of of a field, but I have to give it credit because it, it did wonders for me, and that's Annie Alumbas, colonialism slash postcolonialism, and it is just a wonderful introduction to the field of postcolonialism, that you know even I say even though I say is an introduction, is does not shy away from the more complicated ideas, you know bridging Homi Baba's work with you know Jacques Derrida and a whole slew of other thinkers to make sense, of course like Spivak, to make sense of colonialism and its effects. And the reason I included it is just because it is such a wonderful introduction to that field. Now, the last two, and these ones are without a doubt my favorite, the, the best of the best in my mind as of 2020. And they are... Well, I'll present them one at a time. Immanuel Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. If you haven't read it, I don't know what you're doing. Um, It's... Like, it was the thing that I was like, why why would I read that? Like, I just... It's a book I heard about, you know, I'm more interested in, uh, you know, feminist thought, critical race stuff, post-structuralism. Why am I going to go back and read Kant? Thank God I did. Because... It was... It blew my mind. Kant develops... I don't even know how to say it, but if you want a kind of philosophical justification for their existing a world of appearances versus a world of what he calls you know, things in themselves, obviously Kant is the place to go. Now, what is so fascinating is that he applies it in a way as to demonstrate the limitations of you guessed it, pure reason in a way that's it's, to me unrivaled. Um, and so it's you have to read it. And I, I'll just say it. I'm a Kant is greater than Hegel. I'm, I just I like Kant significantly more. Um, c- come at me. Uh, but yeah, great book, I definitely recommend. it. It is extremely difficult, though. It, um, you're going to have to be reading it with, like, some kind of aid or summary alongside in order to make sense of some of the interesting language. You know, he's developing all these... I guess he was developing these neologisms in, in German to try to really develop his argument, but holy God, it is worth it. And finally, probably the most significant book in my that, I, that I've ever read... And that is, uh, and you've probably never heard of, is Roberto Colasso's The Ruin of Kosh. And this, I can't, it's impossible to give a summary of this book. Every chapter deals with something fundamentally different. But the overarching theme is that our history as humans in what I will just reductively call modern civilization is underwritten by a number of superstitious beliefs, a number of uh, kind of enchanting ideas that keep us tethered to to mysticism, to, to the unknown. And this plays out in the form of sacrifice. And sacrifice plays a fundamental role in his work and for him throughout the course of human history. And he's taken this from the work of uh, René Girard, who deals with that topic a lot, but I really can't stress how eclectic Colasso is, and he has books on a whole range of topics from Greek mythology to uh, to uh, Indian mythology, you know, dealing with um, the Vedic tradition and the Veda, Higbe- if I pronounce that right, um, to a book on Kafka, essays on Nietzsche. He, like he's he's a library in himself. And this book, you know, deals with the French Revolution to uh, to Marx, to a woodsman and a fisherman and the random people in the, in the, in the forest, to uh, Max Stirner, to, to Nietzsche, to um, scientific lab developments. Like it's so eclectic. And for that reason, um, it blew my mind on a number of different fronts. And he's just a wonderful, wonderful writer, Italian born writer. Uh, fluent in English, Italian, German, I think, and his his wife too is extremely famous uh, in in Italy. Flo, I don't know how to pronounce it right. Yeggy, uh who's a uh, she's a literary person. She you know she writes fiction books, but she's a, a another uh, big figure in Italy. But, yeah, Colasso's The Ruin of Kosh, if you were to read any one of these books, that would be the one I'd really insist upon. But it is incredibly difficult. You really need to have, you know, Wikipedia open to approach it. Because it's just really, it's so eclectic that you're going to need some kind of aid to help you understand what he's talking about. Because he's just that. You know, just draws upon that much material. And that's more or less it, my kind of, you know, the books that stand out to me the most. I might do a fiction one at some point, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, but if, you know, whatever. If you like what I did here, like, share, subscribe, give me your recommendations for books. I'd love to hear it. Uh, and then click on one of these sides for video recommendations, whichever one. Happens to be where they go. Uh, And yeah, I'll catch you next time.